Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio, Organic, Friends of the Earth, Activism, Underground, Political Action, Necessary, Wind Farms, Indigenous Struggles, Land Rights, Anti-Nuclear, Nanotechnology, Climate Change, Coal Barons, Mining Magnets, Activists, Educating, Communities, Transforming, Communities, Mobilising a Sustainable Planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Dirt Radio acknowledged that we broadcast live from the lands of the Wurundjeri people and that sovereignty of the Kulin Nation was never ceded. Good morning, this is Dirt Radio, I'm Jack, and today we have a pre-recorded interview with Michelle of the Streslecki Koala Action Team, or SCAT, the collective that really epitomises the dirt in Dirt Radio. Michelle brings us two fantastic interviews. First up, Dr Steve Phillips of Biolink. Steve has been helping Anthony Amis and the SCAT team survey for Streslecki koala scats to help track this endangered, endemic Victorian species. After Steve is Maldera, vet nurse and member of VFA, who has an exciting koala festival coming to Gippsland in October. It's Michelle here. I'm one of the community organisers for the SCAT Collective at Friends of the Earth which represents the Streslecki Koala Action Team. Today, I'm stoked to be calling in with one of the koala experts, as known as Dr. Phillips, or Steve. And we are currently at the beautiful Jumbaka, which is an eco-treat in the Streslecki Ranges. So first and foremost, I would like to acknowledge the Gunai Kurnai traditional owners and carers of this country, as we recognise sovereignty of this land was never ceded. First Nations justice is at the heart of environmental justice and all injustices in so-called Australia. Quickly, before we go to Steve, I would like to introduce him. For our listeners, Steve is a New South Wales wildlife ecologist and former university lecturer with nearly 40 years of experience in natural area management, ranging from the investigation and planning of new conservation areas to habitat, population modelling and the design of specialised survey programs for threatened plants and animals. And Steve first visited the Streslecki Ranges in 2013 when he was accompanied by a New South Wales team to carry out the very first SCAT surveys of the Streslecki Koala. His work and surveying techniques play a critical role influencing how Anthony Amos and the SCAT Collective have adapted their surveying techniques which help us to map the presence of the Streslecki Koala. So hello Steve, it's great to have you here. Hello Michelle, thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. (laughs) So we've just had a very interesting and informative morning. Um, Steve and his team and Kirsty have presented a very comprehensive workshop about their current new surveying techniques and we've just been out to the bush, out the ranges, to scope out some potential access points of the week's surveys to come. Uh, so Steve, for people who will be tuning in for the first time or maybe new to your work, would you like to share with us your first encounters of the Streslecki South Gibson Koala? Uh-huh. Yeah, look, that, that's probably it's, it's a bit of an emotional journey, I guess, or, or a bit of an emotional story. I had I had come down here 
in the, it's the late, mid to late 1990s, in fact, and there was a bit of controversy about timber harvesting and plantations and the like. And that was my first real exposure to the Strasleki koalas and met some amazing people, Susie Zent in mm-hmm. particular. And we were engaged in a lot of political discussions, heard a lot about this animal. And at that stage, we weren't really sure what was here. We, we'd had little tempting suggestions that it was a unique animal in the Strasleki's, but we didn't know that much about it. We'd been through a particularly interesting meeting that morning with some forestry officers and government bureaucrats, and, and I strongly remember walking back through this foggy, misty morning and, and there sitting in a monkey gum, which is an interesting name, mm-hmm. was the first Strasleki koala that I'd ever seen. And it was sort of like, I've often talked to Susie about this and talked about this gorillas in the mist mm-hmm. type concept where something that you've you know read about and thought about and, and wondered about for many, many years, and all of a sudden it just materialised in front of you like a phantom. Mm-hmm. And it's this last, it burned this lasting impression in mind. And so since that time, I have been back several times doing survey work on this animal there's there's a, there's a few publications out there now about just how important it is mm. and what its origins are it's the original victorian co- and you know contrary to too many i guess observations of most people who would when you talk about the southern koala you think of these big shaggy furry things uh, the strasley koala is not that it's a neat little compact bundle quite different to to what most people would associate with the southern koalas it's been I guess an honour for me to be able to come back down here and work with the community and try and further the conservation aims for this animal. It is a very special animal. It's probably one of the most unique and specialised populations I know of in Eastern mm. Australia. So I consider myself very lucky to be able to. Mm. Well, we definitely value and appreciate you coming down, especially as we've been able to continue on with surveying for scats thanks to your team showing Susie Zent from Friends of Gippsland Bush and Anthony Amos surveying ropes. And I can definitely say Anthony often quotes you on the gorillas in the mist when he speaks to the Strasleki koala. Great to hear, like, the continuation of ongoing research because it's definitely very much needed and very valued and, as you said, will be able to guide future long-term management and conservation for this special koala population. This is a, uh, another visit for you, and your last visit was 2014. So it's been about eight or so years. Would you please be able to share with some of our listeners what particular project you are working on at the moment? I hear of something called ARCS, a new surveying technique, which you are particularly excited about. We are working in so many different arenas related to koala conservation, I guess, at the moment, and it's nice to be at that sort of cutting face for want of a better word. A lot, so much has happened in the last eight years to this country and you know, the, the, the impacts of climate change are now being fully felt. Mm-hmm. Um, we have lost thousands and thousands of koalas due to bushfires mm-hmm. and we've lost populations of koalas out in the western parts of their range because it's just too hot for them there now. So we're seeing a species pretty well in rapid decline and and sort of colleagues of mine often remind me of the fact that this is an animal who's gone from common to vulnerable to endangered in like 12 years. Mm. And you think, wow, what a massive decline that has been. And, and we're still starting to come to grips with how do we deal with this moving into the future? There are things now that are unstoppable. And how do we best deal with very temperature-sensitive animals like the koala and try and look after and secure its future? Mm-hmm. And that's where populations like this come in. They're in an area with big large amount of topographical relief. It's a cooler climate compared to many other parts of Australia. And so it may well be that places like this become a stronghold and they become the future. Mm. 
for, for koalas in eastern Australia. In terms of other projects that we're working on, always testing, I guess, the veracity of alternative methods like song meters, drones, um, making sure and trying to make sure they're best practice in terms of science. And, mm-hmm. you know, with any new techniques, people come along and say, this is the way forward, this is the way forward. And we're probably a little bit of Luddites and we say, no, stop, have a breath, let's have a think about how this works. The critical questions that, that government often faces are things like, are there koalas out there? Anyone can pretty well answer that question, but the more important questions are things like, if they're not out there, then why? Mm. But if you have found them, then how big is the population? How vulnerable is to disturbance and stress? Mm-hmm. What's its disease profile? Mm. Um, what's the overall picture? And that's where a lot of our work goes. And so we're working all over Eastern Australia. We have projects in Queensland, widespread through New South Wales, mm-hmm. projects like this in Victoria. And as a, you know, I'm, I'm probably a self-confessed koala tragic, I guess. I've been very fortunate to work with this animal for nearly 40 years now. Just beginning to think that I understand it. And I often think how, how fortunate I've been to work with an animal like this throughout its entire range in Australia and look at the problems that it faces, get to understand it, learn what it needs. And the, the reality for koalas is their needs are pretty simple. You know, mm. they... They like to have access to their preferred koala food trees. Mm-hmm. They live in very strongly built social structures. There's a lot of communication goes on. As long as we keep our roads away from them, we don't destroy their habitat, protect their preferred koala food trees, we keep the dogs away, this animal can live quite happily with us. But mm-hmm. we just continue to push the boundaries and it becomes really frustrating when you see things that you know we could address and you know we could solve and then you find government doesn't have the teeth or mm. it doesn't have the, you know, the wherewithal to say, yes, we'll intervene. And that's why we need strong voices at a community level because you've got to continually put this stuff to government and say, stop, we expect more, we expect better. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's a koala, it can be a platypus or a, a rare bird, but that's that's what that's the importance and that's the, that's the role of a community like this to speak strongly and mm. speak with a powerful voice and... So part of our work is also like social networking. So we will empower, we hope, you know, people with knowledge. So we don't we talk about science, the science of koala conservation, and what we do is we give people knowledge, like preferred koala food trees. And mm-hmm. if someone says to me, "Oh, I'm going to cut down, say, a black butt in northern New South Wales," and we say, "Oh, yeah, well, that's a bit of a pity because it's a lovely tree," if they say we're going to cut down a tallow wood then that's when we start gathering the trees. You say, you can't touch that. Mm. That tree belongs to koalas. They can mm. live without it. And so that's the sort of level of information that we provide, we try to provide, informing government, informing the community, and just progressively trying to assist landscape-scale conservation of these populations. And You mentioned the ARCS concept. Mm-hmm. It's not a biblical connotation. It's an acronym, and it mm-hmm. stands for you know, Areas of Regional Koala Significance. And it's a technique now for identifying populations at a regional level that are significant in terms of the long-term future and survival of koalas. And that means the population's big enough, mm-hmm. has to be over 500 animals. Mm-hmm. The amount of habitat underpinning that has to be big enough to support double the size of that population. So finally, we've got some tools which you can say, if you're going to be genuine about conserving koalas, it doesn't matter whether it's Victoria, New South Wales or Queensland, here is a tool that will allow you to identify the most significant regional populations in Australia. Mm. And again, we've been involved in refining the methodology, testing it on the ground, and we're getting very positive results. It's the first time we've brought these tools down to Victoria, mm. this workshop this morning, and, and so the feedback has sort of been 
wool. That's impressive. And, and we've now got even better feedback through some of the researchers working down here, and particularly Dr. Wendwick's her genetic work and our records work to identify the arcs are just beautifully positioned. They're saying exactly the same thing. So we're all very excited about the, the capacity of this tool to inform conservation mm. now. And I guess we can also speak to it a little bit more once you've had the chance to process some of the initial data. You were happy to host an online workshop for other folk who um, you know might want to learn a little bit more and also just to better understand and be able to have a look at some of the maps that you were showing us, which were visually very important and have great overlay to kind of represent the work of the arcs. And I know Kirsty was saying as well that the arcs take into consideration the generation of the... Generational persistence. It's, it's, it's built about a concept of there's a, an international standard, mm-hmm. International Union for the Conservation of Nature, and it tells, tells us how to best measure change in mm-hmm. populations. And, and that, that measure of change is either a minimum period of 10 years Mm-hmm. or three consecutive generations, whichever is the larger number. And so through our work, we've got a quality generation time of six years. Mm-hmm. And so we're measuring change at mm-hmm. regional levels now mm-hmm. in 18-year time frame. And it doesn't mean you stop after 18 years and you then wait another yeah. 18 years and do it again. Each year that comes on, you just progressively reframe yeah. the analysis. And what we've been able to learn from doing that is that we've been able to watch populations change through, through space and time. As we move each analysis forward a year, we reanalyse the data. And koala populations in the landscape are, are like these amoebas. They're this sort of jelly-like blob. They're very, they tend to be very sedentary and stationary mm. in the landscape in the absence of disturbance. And as the population grows, the juveniles head out and they establish new home ranges in unoccupied areas of habitat. And we've been able to demonstrate that now by chasing this arc concept back through time mm-hmm. and watching changes that have occurred in, mm. in significant populations and how many they are and where they're located in the landscape. So, it, yeah, it is it is a, a very powerful tool and, and yeah, certainly we can see a, a spectacular future for it in terms of assisting koala conservation. And The interesting thing about it is koalas have a very high political profile. They're, they're one of these animals that everybody's very interested in, rightfully mm. so. But the principles that we work with with koalas are equally applicable to other animals as well. Mm-hmm. And so once we get the tools and we understand things like longevity and generation time, mm-hmm. how many young are reproduced, we can feed that into this process and we'll get other pictures for other animals. And that's pretty cool too. We've been playing a little bit with rock wallabies over the last few years mm-hmm. and looking at changes in their distribution, but the bulk of the work that we do is koala-focused mm-hmm. and at that, that big landscape scale. So, mm. um, and to be able to bring this knowledge now to the stress leckies and, and show people how it works mm-hmm. and how it informs koala conservation is just it's just fantastic to do mm. that. And I feel as well in advocating for the long term conservation and future of the koala, kind of think of it also as like an umbrella species. We can protect the koala, we can also protect all the other species of the forest below it. Currently, Friends of the Earth are spending a lot of time surveying Mullandong State Forest and we've also found other residents have been spotlighting at night and have great presence of the greater gliders, which mm. have recently been uplisted to endangered by the EPPC. If we are, just in that one simple scenario, able to safeguard, better preserve or protect the habitat of the Strezlaki koala, we're also complementing the habitat that feeds into 
the endangered greater glider. Yeah, no, indeed. That's we often see the koala as an umbrella species. Mm. So if you can secure this and greater gliders like mm. koalas, very sensitive to fire mm-hmm. and very disturbed to loss of their, their key resource, which is hollows. Mm-hmm. They're a bit more of an opportunistic foldable compared to the koala, but the principles are the same. If you mm. if you can identify the essential elements that the animal needs to survive, and let's say well, with greater gliders, it's this hollow resource that they mm. need. And then you start to measure that resource in the landscape, you can then start to develop some tools for sort of modelling and identifying where it's likely to be most abundant. And with a lot of the work that we do with scats, and I could have probably talked about this this morning, but we're also focusing on other species as we look around for koala scats. When we find other scats from other species, we'll also record them. Mm-hmm. And so often during our work, we will find greater glider scats. They've got quite unique scats. Mm. And so part of our data collection is greater gliders at this site, greater gliders at this site. Mm-hmm. And when you start to look at the distribution of those sorts of observations in a particular landscape, you can see they tend to cluster. Mm. And so that's helping us identify where the populations are in that landscape. And, and so during you know, the, the, the talk today, I talked about multi-species monitoring at these sampling points and so that's the sort of stuff that we can do. We can, as long as you, it's always relevant. It's important that you sample at a scale that's relevant to the species of interest. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a fundamental principle of working mm-hmm. with rare animals. But yeah, once we if we set up these permanent monitoring points around the landscape, and in the Strasleckis, we're talking at 500 meter or 100 meter sampling intervals, and and we start to record all the levels of information we get from those particular sites, whether it's Presence, absence, hollow bony mm. trees within a 50-metre radius. Presence, absence, greater glider scats. Presence, absence, koala scats. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you end up with a tool mm-hmm. which can give you information about a whole variety of species. And that's, the again, the, not the, so much the power of it. The koala is an umbrella species. And, it, and by protecting its resource, knowing what it's sensitive to, there's a whole suite of animals underneath mm. that will benefit as well. Seeing as it's not your first time in Strasleky Ranges, but I guess it is your first time surveying the Brutungalung Forest Park. Yes. Do you have any initial expectations of what you may find? I carry memory with me of the landscapes that mm. I've been in, and I don't know why. It's, it's a pretty weird thing, but I, I sort of have a, a sense of you know what's impacting on the landscape here. Mm. And we know that their resource here is now increasingly fragmented mm-hmm. and, and discombobulated for mm. a better word so we know that many of the areas where we worked in 2013-14 have also now been rather severely burnt and or logged mm-hmm. and so those populations are potentially lost and then even today realising where the uh, extent of fragmentation where the food resource is because out of all the eucalypts that occur mm. up here there's only two or three that this animal really needs to survive and you look at how patchy distribution is at the landscape level mm. gee they'll be here and they'll be here but maybe not here mm. and then you look at the impacts of logging and you say just mm. a big tree here and a big tree there is mm. that enough unlikely mm. and i think we've gone from in 2013-14 we we're thinking this is before all the big fires and we we're thinking gee this looks like a good news story mm. this animal's been nearly extirpated from the landscape it's recovered it's now appearing quite widely around the place. Mm-hmm. And then our work said, yes, very high densities in the area that it's living in, but they've gone. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that surprised us with this most re- recent analysis is that if that trend was continuing, we would have expected quite a significant difference between mm-hmm. the occupied habitat, which we've modelled, and the occupied habitat in the past, but it's not. It's, mm-hmm. sitting, in the, it's sitting in the same space. 
which tells us that the either the, the rate of loss of the animals here is almost being balanced by the rate of recovery, in which case there's been no movement, mm-hmm. or alternatively, it was high, say pre-fire, and now it's been knocked back down again. So mm-hmm. that'll come out of our field work. The records analysis has told us we should expect around 40% of the habitat to be occupied. Okay. And so that's what we're already testing yep. with the field survey. So each site that's got preferred koala habitat in it, at this stage we'd be expecting you know, four out of every ten sites will come back maybe with koala scan. Mm-hmm. If it's coming back less than that, mm-hmm. then we'll start to be a, a little bit alarmed about mm-hmm. what the implications are. Mm-hmm. Well, it will be an interesting week. We had some very good eyes in the car who somehow managed <laughs> to see three koalas when the rest of us were... Navigating the terrain. I don't know who that was. Do you know who that was? Oh, I don't know. Yes. Person Michelle. Perhaps? It was Michelle. It was yeah. Michelle. Rings a bell. Yes. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen so many koalas in one sitting, in one day, in the wild. So that was a good find. That was a fantastic yeah. find. It, it, that sort of points to an issue. You know, sometimes people see lots of koalas mm. and they then think they're everywhere. It That's not the case. Doesn't you know? paint the picture. And and you know you can then say for those. Ten, 10 minutes that we were uh, in that area where you saw three koalas, we then drove for an hour after that and we didn't see any. Exactly. So they're always patchy in the landscape. Mm. But, yeah, spectacular observation skills on mm. my mineral. Apparently <laughs> I'm going to be recruited by yes. BioLink yeah, Bio Consulting yeah. Group. I'll yeah. be there. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I guess I also just wanted to say a big shout-out and thank you to the Maya Foundation for helping to fund this important work to help fund BioLink, Steve and his team to come down for the week to carry out a week long's worth of surveys and then to also analyse, publish a report with their findings and we will have a information workshop coming up, probably definitely announce that once that's confirmed and that will definitely be made available on the Koala webpage at Faux Melbourne and also if people are interested in learning what's involved within a SCAT survey We will be hosting uh, citizen science workshops and there will also be a lot of information and resources at the upcoming Strezlecki Koala Festival Day, which we will shortly speak to. Thank you so much, Steve, and wish you all with the survey. Thanks very much, Michelle. 3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. You're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR. Now for the second part of the interview with Mel Dara about the Gippsland Streslecki Koala Festival. Very thankful to have been joined by Dr Steve Phillips today here at Jumbuck Park. We had a very interesting workshop which kind of speaks to the research and the scat work, out, scat work that they will be carrying out within the Bratungalong Forest Park. Whilst this is important work, another step that comes with it is advocating and creating awareness and firing community education so that we can invite the community to come on board to join us and advocate for the long-term 
protection and awareness of the Strezlecki koala. So here at the workshop, I've been blessed to also be joined by Maldera. And so Maldera is a wildlife vet based in the Gippsland region and is also an activist and advocate for the forestry, environmental, climate movement, you name it. She's on a mission. Um, and she has decided to bring forward to the community the Strezlecki Koala Festival. So Mal, thanks for being here today and thanks for all your commitment to such important causes. I'm curious to know what led you to be like, all right, cool, let's build a festival in two months <laughs> or three months. I guess through the forestry sort of activism um, that I've been doing, it's become really apparent that um, we're losing those animals at an alarming rate. I do a lot of community engagement through the wildlife care that I do, but to combine the two, to raise education and awareness within the community just seemed to be a union that had to happen. In retrospect, I possibly could have had a bit more time to organise it, but anyway. So yeah, basically, it, it's about bringing the community together, giving them the information, leading them towards mobilising, uh, towards protecting the species and other species, um, and hopefully also starting to protect native forest within this area in Gippsland too, and greater Gippsland, of course. Is there a particular outline for the day? Hopefully we have a welcome to country by some Gunai elders and a little bit of information about their connection to country. We've got some PhD students studying in microbats. We have Kelly Smith that was studying the koala, I think, in the Gippsland region and down on the peninsula as well. Mm -hmm. and we have some sustainability projects within the Shire locally, focusing on koalas and on the Greater Glider. We have some political party presence, so we're looking at uh, Matt Morgan from the Greens and Helen Jeggers from the Animal Justice Party. Obviously, the vet clinic that I work through with the wildlife will be present also. We have sort of extended it to community groups such as Berry Street, Quantum, um, and LGTBQI. But that's basically it. We're hoping everyone joins in. Sounds like a kick ass day. <laughs> and if people are interested in helping to perhaps sponsor, organise, host a market stall on the day, what's the best way that they can contact you? Yep, um, we have an event page on Facebook. It's the Gippsland Strezlicki Koala event page. Also, melandthemenagerie.outlook.com is my direct, or mderaatlive.com.au. Just to remind me again, the event details, when and where and what time will it be? 16th of October. It'll be at Old Gippstown or Gippsland Heritage Town, which is on the M1. It's gates open at 10.30. We'll have live music between the speakers and whatnot around lunchtime, food vans, market stalls, and then closing the gates roughly about 3.30. Okay, great. And also just a shout out there to anyone listening on the line. If anyone feels inspired to come dressed as Cranky the Koala, GAT will be hosting a market stall together with Watch for Wildlife. The come down will be there and hopefully Cranky will be there. Just putting my fishing line out there if you want if you're interested in you know tag teaming as a koala for the day um please get in touch if you have any questions or inquiries you can either email mel mel and the menagerie at outlook.com outlook otherwise you also can drop me a line michelle.baxter at foe.org.au 
Well done, Mal. All the best. And we hope to see you all down there at the Strasliki Koala Festival Day. Excellent. Thank you. It's Michelle here. I'm one of the community organisers. For- Thanks to Michelle Baxter, Dr. Steve Phillips and Mal Dara for those quality interviews. Up next, some CSAs. And after is Gavin and Billabong Beats taking you through to midday. I've been Jack. This has been Dirt Radio. And I'll speak to you next week. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and the Nara people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter.